0: Welcome to my podcast, Over a Cup of Coffee with HJ, directly broadcasted from Shanghai. I'm an independent inspirator and offer you a full-spectrum podcast. My audience has always the chance to listen to exciting and inspiring people, which have the right to share their opinion and their perspective on various topics which make life Meaningful. Welcome to our third episode about digital currency and blockchain. Welcome Tom from Switzerland. And I would love to continue our conversation about culture. Yes, you heard right. It's about culture, dude, which means when we are talking about blockchain, and digital currencies, we often forget to think about the roots of all our thinking and this is culture. Please Tom, share your thoughts with our audience.
1: Oh, thanks Hanser. So you bring up an actually a very interesting point and this is something that I did have a chance to, to do some thinking about. So um, there are very, very much cultural differences that I think have to go into play. And I think maybe to go back to your other question before about, you know, what's going to happen, I think one, one Factor that you don't hear a lot about is this cultural factor and I'll tell you what I'm thinking about So when I started getting into blockchain that was here in here in Zurich and I stumbled on this this blockchain scene and um, For various reasons, uh, Switzerland became a real hub of blockchain and those reasons were very much business reasons So back in the early days there was a sort of you know The government's kind of friendly to it and friendly to cryptocurrencies and they were interested in um, interested in, 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 you know, bringing startups here to Switzerland. And there was all the certainly and there was obviously always in Switzerland, there's a tax aspect and people very happy to come to Switzerland um, to do their blockchain. But there was also another element, and I was involved in a organization called the Crypto Valley Association. In fact, I was on the on the team that uh, that founded it, and I ran the communications there for the first year. And that's like a trade organization for um, crypto and blockchain startups, uh, especially um, you know that that was happening back in in 2017, and you know, and it still exists. And you know, you talked a lot of these people, and there was this total strain. Also, along with the business reasons why we came to Switzerland and the tax reasons why we came to Switzerland, a lot of people in the blockchain world coming from outside Switzerland said they admired the Swiss system, right? So Switzerland has very much a, a bottom-up federalist system um, and it's pretty much, I like to call it the um, the most successful uh, direct democracy um, in the world, right, um, that we have today, and, and it's a very successful society. And as you, I don't know if you know, in, in in Switzerland, if you're a citizen, we vote four times a year on everything, right? So four times a year, I get a package from the government with all my little ballots in it and a book that explains what the what's on the ballot, and we can vote on everything from you know, do we want to have a universal basic income in the country to you know, where do we build the next school, right? So you're you're very much um, participate in government and. I saw incredible parallels between a lot of what the blockchain projects that were coming in wanted to do. They wanted to decentralize money. They wanted to decentralize um, business. uh, They wanted to decentralize markets. They wanted to to sort of, you know, bring this bottom up approach to pretty much anything they could think of. And you couldn't really um, escape the parallels. In fact, I I did a TEDx talk about this in Basel a couple of years ago. And um, I always thought to myself what what is it that about this that that works? Why does Switzerland work with this kind of approach? And I never could decide and I still can. Is it because of the rules? Is it because that we, you know, we have this, you know, federal setup and and we have this direct democracy? Or is it cultural? Is it because, you know, are the Swiss successful and very reasonable with each other because they're just like that? And it's. I think it's a fascinating question, and I don't think you know. It's. I don't think I have an answer, but it's a, It's an important question also for blockchain and the whole decentralization movement, because I'm not sure if a lot of people are ready for decentralization, um, and for you know taking much more control of their own lives. Like you said, with the with, with the Chinese who are very happy to have their um their, their platform there for you know there and have everything sort of set up for you. Um, I, I really don't know. Um, but I think it's it's an interesting um, sort of line of inquiry.
0: It's about uh, the Im- expression of the consciousness of a society which love to experience a certain pattern of possibilities. So probably the Swiss guys, because they are um, raised up in this environment, geographically and socially, have the tendency to take over more responsibility on the individual level compared to, let's say, China, which has 1.5 billion inhabitants and where the individual responsibility probably would lead to some national conflicts. So they developed over centuries um, a certain way of governing, but also a certain setting of what people want to experience.
1: Isn't it true that that for all of that and um, for all of this, you know, thousands of years of cultural history, which I, I admire very much, by the way, in, in, in China, um, my understanding is that it's it's always been punctuated by periods of serious chaos. Um, and I Indeed. think that that's isn't that isn't that sort of the Chinese, my understanding of a Chinese sort of you know, view of histories, you have these long periods of, of order, and then you have you know, mega, you know super chaos periods, um, and then 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 it starts and then there's a passing to the next to the next uh, to the next um, yes. Yes. regime or, or 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 dynasty, let's say, it used to be, right? So so for all of that, you, you can't stop this chaos. And I understand, based on what a, like I want to be sure is my very superficial understanding of Chinese history, that um, there's a huge fear of that kind of chaos coming back, which I can understand. And I think you see some of that in Europe, by the way.
0: Yes, this is absolutely uh, right. Right from my perspective, how I experience uh, uh, the life here and the discussions and my insights in the Chinese history. So even at school, this is taught or this is um, that there are cycles and this is no secret so even though the the government and the elite right now they are very aware of this kind of chaos and stability and so what they try to do is to develop a some kind meritocratic system which is very scientific based so this is their dream their big dream so that there is no space for errors anymore and uh, this is why, from my perspective, uh, the the love for technology is so um, um, big here in Asia, especially in China. So because there is this deep wish, if we can control the whole society, if we can develop this kind of governance as a service, as a platform, and uh, we can control all factors, we can control um, the chaos and we can create permanent harmony which is a contradiction in itself if you uh, take into consideration this yin and yang concept that you have the polarities and you need the one side to have the other side so um, i have no clear answer but probably this is an explanation why they love to establish this full spectrum governance uh, approach
1: That's interesting. And while you were talking, I had a thought which I'd like to share because, um, I mean, this cultural stuff is is, is fascinating to get into, right? But it occurred to me that there's there's these huge differences we just discussed, but aren't there parallels as well? Because here's what I mean. You you talked about WeChat being this, you know, all-inclusive platform in China where you can can use it and you're kind of giving up a bit of your freedom and you're giving up your, you know... Um, you, you're, you're, yeah, you're giving us on your freedom more, or your, 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 you know, all your data is on there, right? Um, and it's kind of top down. But once you're on it, you you could do whatever you want. You know, it gives you all sorts of convenience and gives you all sorts of tools and gives you all sorts of stuff to to, to, to run your life. Right. But jorg do don't we have the same thing in the West? Haven't we all given up our freedom to these platforms like Google and Facebook so we can have a convenient life? Well said, Tom.
0: I I, I I couldn't say it in a better way. If we talk about the surveillance capitalism uh, compared to the way it is done in, in 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 China, so what China is trying to do, they offer the the, 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 the government offers a platform for the citizens, uh, which they can use in a safe way. So it's about scam and all these frauds, and which is very easygoing in the West. It also exists in China, but what they try to do is by offering such kind of ecosystems, they try to minimize criminal acts. So this is their perspective. And yeah. this is what what you said in the beginning when, when, when you are talking with people from the Chinese uh, IT um, uh, services that they say, look, you have chaos. You wanted freedom and now it's it's, it's a mess. And we don't want to have this for our society.
1: you know, picking up on that. I'm starting to get the feeling, kind of more recently, that in, in, in many issues, in many cases, the problem isn't the system. And actually, this is something I, I've, I've thought for a while. and I'd like to get your thoughts on it as well. But I, I'm not so sure that the pro- that the issue is the rules or any particular set of rules for a system. It's how they're it's how they're implemented. It's how people go about it, right? And that's a cultural thing right that's uh you know you can have you know you can have a um an autocratic system with a with the um you know the the the, the famous benign dictator and it could be great right um you can have a democratic system that that, that could be a complete a nightmare for, for the individual it All depends on on how things on how the things are lived which is why i'm not a particularly political person because I, I have this very naive belief that if you want a better world you need a better person not better rules but anyway it you know, it seems to me the more I get get into this whole idea of the different kind of internets, different kind of approaches to digital currencies, that the problem seems to be often either in the Chinese model or in the European model or the American model, not necessarily the power structures on top and the citizens at the bottom and who's who's manipulating whom. It's the corruption in the middle. Right? And um, I'm starting to understand that, that a lot of what the Chinese government seems to be wanting to doing on the surface is to, like you just said, is to, is to eliminate all this awful corruption in the middle. And on the, on the US approach where you have all these companies and all this, it's, it's not corruption like you know, evil corruption, but the fact that, you know, that every time I go on the internet, you know, 100 different companies can spy on me and, and take my data is to me a kind of um, problem in the middle right? Things are being stolen and that, that has to be dealt with. Does that make any sense?
0: Yes and no. As a yes, in a way, I agree. And no, because I would love to give you a different perspective on uh, what right. you've said. Because when you say uh, in the middle and there's a top and there's a down, this is in itself a power structure. But I'm not sure if, if the government is on top Probably from my point of view, I, I see a, a picture of different circles, which are mm-hmm. interconnected, uh, which create a different dynamics. Uh, and for example, Google or Alphabet or Facebook, uh, they have no constitutional rights in the US so far, I know. And however, they have the power to decide or to do things which are probably not uh, in line uh, with. Uh, the basic understanding uh, of the American uh, society. So what what, um, Zuboff uh, in her work claims. And um, so I'm not sure if we can say top, middle, down, it's more that within a fluid system of networks, some knots have taken more power than they have the right to.
1: I think that's probably a better way of of actually describing what i was trying to describe Uh, but i guess what i'm saying is the problem remains um not necessarily the the rules of the game it's whoever is exploiting those in 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 ways that are not in tune with the intent of the rules
0: yes but then the question is who set the rules for the ruler or what is really the big driver of our global politics and economy. In a way, uh, the nation or the entities, the political entities like European Union or China or North North America, they want to survive. They want to keep up the position they already have achieved or maybe more than that. So it's the same like we experienced 45 to 1990, so the Cold War, but the invisible Cold War. To be honest with you, I think that
1: right now we're in a Cold War anyway, right? We're in we've, we're in another age of great power politics and in an age of chaos and or coming chaos. I think this is very much, um, or what the worry is actually um on a lot of people and I kind of share this worry unfortunately is that we're not in 1949 or 1950 the beginning of a of, of a new cold war we're in 1910 the um you know the the last you know the last days before a a major hot war and um, a lot of people you know as in 1910 you know you can kind of see it coming but nobody really wants to to you know, to to, to accept that is coming because who who would want to, right? But um, you know, there's a lot of flashpoints, um, especially, for example, um, uh, in in you know between the China and, and the U.S. over Taiwan, for example, that could very easily turn into a, a conflict. So what I'm what i I guess what I'm saying is, what I worry about the most in all of this is not the technological developments; it's the fact that. Um, we are going it's the fact that we are going into a a potentially a hot conflict so that its military might whether it's digital or or physical that's going to make a difference and this technological stuff that's going on is is subsumed to that
0: i agree with uh, your concerns and uh, especially when you name uh, taiwan so this is a very sensitive issue, even in China, and in China, if you talk with people on the street or uh, on the balcony uh, while having a party, they will tell you, oh yes, there are big, three big projects in China. Project one, uh, um, diminish the poverty, um, the second uh, is to... Yeah, make the society strong again and the third point is to make a union with uh, Taiwan so yep. um, this is openly discussed this is not something uh, which is controversial uh, here in mainland China um, it is very uh, clear that uh, we have to uh, assimilate, not assimilate, to to include, uh, to make a reunion like in East and West Germany. So, and uh, if we need some power or force, then we have to apply it. And yeah. there's a saying that the great leader in China uh, has three goals: diminish the poverty, to include Hong Kong, and to include Taiwan. And so even if this is rhetoric, because the first two things have already accomplished, there are very clear rumors about that. And I'm also concerned that this might lead to some uh, very big tensions, uh, which will uh, be used by the United States as a leverage to make a um, really big war, to find solutions for the economic crisis we experience right now worldwide.
1: Sure. And that's 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 one point of view. And, and I think from the, uh, you know, from the American point of view, it's probably the opposite. Right. They're worried about the Chinese doing something aggressive to take over Taiwan. Um, and we're having to go to go defend that and, and thereby defend democratic values. And I think that, um, you know, that that, like I said at the beginning, I'm, I'm hardly a China an expert on China, but, I you know, everything I kind of read and, and listen to, um, podcasts and stuff, you know, when it comes about China, the one thing I'm I'm more and more convinced of is that we in the West don't understand um, the the Chinese point of view and that there is a kind of a, you call it a chauvinism or a blindness to to the kind of things you you just said. I mean, you know, just as as an American, you could kind of think to yourself, you know, it's just a thought experiment. I I wouldn't say I think this way, but you could say to yourself, imagine in, in, um, in, in World War II, if the Japanese took over Hawaii right and they still had it let's just say right you know yes. you would probably think as an american no that's america we need it back so eh, i don't know it's 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 certainly complicated
0: i really enjoyed the conversation with my guest if you did so feel free to share this episode with your friends and your colleagues within your circle and your social media i do this in my free time and it's for non-profit if you would love to be my guest and share your valuable insights feel free to contact me you find the details in the description of the podcast you are listening right now bye bye